0: This is a recording made in the chapter of the opened book and is number three on the subject of the hope of resurrection. It is our custom at this meeting to read a portion of scripture together and if you who are listening care to do so and join us, will you switch off for a little while and read the 14th chapter of the Epistle to the Romans. In our previous study, we concentrated our attention upon the historic basis of our faith with regard to the resurrection. And I remarked that there were some folks who had no room for mere historic faith. But if you have no historic basis for your faith, then the whole thing may be a lovely piece of poetry, and just a dream, and that's the end of it. Well now this evening we're going to consider, specially the words that are used by the Spirit of God in dealing with this question of resurrection. And again, there will be some commenting, All the letter killeth. It's the spirit that giveth life. That's a quotation that's misapplied, doesn't have any reference to the mere word of Scripture. It's to do with the Old Covenant and the New. But you cannot get the spirit of God, and the teaching of God, if you ignore the word of God. So this evening we are using the opportunity to acquaint ourselves with the words which have been chosen by God to teach us this great subject of resurrection. You may remember that in Psalm 12, I think it is verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words. Uh, The version, our version reads one way, but the translation that appeals to me is this, The words of the Lord are pure words. Words of earth, yet purified like silver, seven times. Not a furnace of earth, but the words are words of earth. That is to say, it's either Hebrew or Greek or any other language you think of. They are words of earth and limited by our own limitations. Limited by grammatical rules, limited by the rules of reasoning and logic, yet God stoops and puts himself under the obligation to speak grammatically and use words with logical meaning. Let's be thankful that that is so. And then you get, not only so, but you get that principle that I've mentioned several times in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. We do not speak with the wisdom of men, but the words which the Holy Ghost teaches. Surely it it should appeal to us if it is the fact that this book has been indicted by the Holy Ghost. We should at least give some attention to the words he's chosen. And then even our Saviour rebukes those who speak about the mere word of God. For in that great closing prayer of John 17, he said, the words, not merely the word in general, but the words which thou hast given me, I have given them. So we're in good company, friends. Well now, there are two words that are used in connection with the resurrection, the word to raise. And in our version, you're not able to distinguish them, because we are looking at an English word. But if you were naturally speaking Greek, you would be conscious all the time that any amount of verses before and after the one that you've been looking at has got some one of the same family in it, because you know that words are in families. Now, the word that I put on the board there, anastasis, anastasis, is one of a great family. In fact, there are 69 varieties of the, of the verb anastemi in the New Testament. 69 variants. So that there's every possibility that in the chapter you're reading, which has perhaps one reference to the resurrection, there may be a half a dozen different words that all come from the same root. Now you see, unless you've got that element, you haven't got exactly the same sort of feeling when you read the English version, version as a person who was acquainted with the original and took it in his stride. Well, we can't all be Greek students or Greek scholars. We're not pretending that. But I think at least we can we can say, well, let's have one evening and get these things cleared up for everybody, shall we? Well, if you say no, we have not embarked on it, friends. So here goes. Anastasis. Now, that, the root of that word means to stand. Isteve, of course, the, I can't explain the way it changes from a long e to an a and so on, but Isteve is the central verb and it means to stand. Well, now, the the other word that we have to consider is egyro and all its variants. There's only about eight different varieties of this word, so it's a very small family in comparison with stv which, as I say, got 69. But still, Egaro is another word which is translated to raise. Now, what is the difference between these two? Because, you see, if God has stooped to use two different words, and we go and muddle them up and use them all as though it's all one and the same, we may be not only confusing the issue, but losing something. So for a little while we're going to look at these words. Uh, The other two we'll come to in a moment. Now, these are some of the words uh, that have a bearing upon the subject of resurrection. Anastasis. Now, my pronunciation is not Greek. My pronunciation is for the poor wretches like ourselves who speak English. So you Greek scholars who are listening, you just turn a deaf ear. Anastasis. Anna means up. Stasis means to stand. It means to stand up. And then we have one or two passages, or one in particular, which we must come to in a moment, where it is prefaced by the word ex, ex-anastasis. So anastasis means to stand up, and ex-anastasis means to stand up out of. A select company different from the rest. And then we have the ordinary word adestemi, which means to stand up. And then the word egairo strictly means not to stand up, but to wake up. To wake up. Now, normally, we wake up first, and then we stand up afterwards. Sometimes, especially when the war was on and bombs were dropping, you seem to wake up and stand up and jump clean out at the same minute. But that was exceptional. Now then, there are some passages where it is wise for us to realise that it doesn't mean the full resurrection. It doesn't mean standing up in all the glory of a new life. But it means waking up. And that waking up can take place even now, before the day of resurrection dawns. So you see the possibility of some getting mixed up over these things, especially when they're trying to prove certain doctrines. There was one friend that was proving. He said to me, his idea was this, that if you were to open the grave of a believer in the body of Christ three days after he was buried, you'd find it was empty. Well, that was easy to say because nobody's done it. And he built it all upon that we are raised together with him. Well, you see, he was barking up the wrong tree because Anastasis, the word for resurrection, has never been prefaced by the word together with. Never. Not one case. It's always the waking up. We are woke up friends now. We are going to stand up presently for we've got the earnest of the inheritance now and the glory of it yet to come. Don't you think it's worth a little time getting these things sorted out? I do. Well how shall we get going and look at a few references to prove this point. Luke, the fourth chapter, I'm going to give you just a few specimens of the translation of these words. The fourth chapter, and the 16th verse. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And then in verse 39 of the same chapter, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever. So there's the normal, ordinary translation of the basic word for a resurrection. To stand up. Well now let's take it a stage further. Let's look at the other word. Matthew the 8th chapter, verse 25. This is the second word, egairo that we're looking at. Matthew, the 8th chapter and the 25th verse. You remember the context, verse 23, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, now that's the word for resurrection. He was asleep, and they awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, all ye of little faith? Then he arose. Then he arose. They woke him. That was one movement. Then he arose. That was the second movement. You see, it's on all fours. The one who wrote this scripture used the words with discretion. And so we've got now, look at Matthew the first chapter. Matthew the first chapter, I see I've got Matthew and Mark, I'm very kind, instead of racing through all parts of scripture. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. Nobody else says I'm very kind, so I say it for myself once now and again. Here we have in verse 24, then Joseph being raised from sleep. See? Well, if he's raised from sleep, he's woke up, isn't he? That's the idea and did as the angel of the Lord bid him. And yet again in Mark the fourth chapter, Mark the fourth chapter, verse 38 and 39. Oh, here yeah, this is again. He was, a, he was in the hinder part of the sheep, asleep on a pillow, and they awakened, And he arose. So uh, that's a parallel. And we, I think we were looking at Romans uh, 14. Let's look at Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. So the salvation is getting nearer, but you're not completely saved yet. That salvation, which is the future glory, is coming. But he says, anticipate it, knowing the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. Well, now perhaps you'd like to have one verse in which the two words come together. The two definite words come together. That would be useful, wouldn't it? And this is in the epistle to the Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 14. Ephesians 5.14 Wherefore, he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You can see there he's using them in a figurative sense, uh, because he goes on to say redeeming the time, because the days are evil. But there you get the two thoughts come together. Awake, out of sleep, and arise from the dead. Well, now, when you're dealing with this mighty subject which has to do with your hope and glory, check the references before you build a doctrine. And if you're not able to read the original, well, there are concordances available. There's Young's Analytical, which will give it to you, or there's Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. I think it's called Exhaustive, and then he breaks your back carrying it across the chapel. But it gives you Every occurrence and gives you which word it is. So this without excuse, and we surely should not um, shirk the responsibility or the labour attached to be sure that what we build, we are building that which will stand the test of that day. So now we've got before us two words: Anastasis to stand up, Egaro to wake up. Well, now we'll look at the word soon, together with soon. Now, what did I say just now? It was never used with Anistini or Anastasis. It was only used with Egyro. And here's the next thing. And the passages we find those words occur, soon Egyro, are found only in the epistles that belong to the Church of the Mystery. Never anywhere else. That's a subject to be pondered when you're using these words. Because if the Spirit of God has used them there exclusively, it may mean it's focusing our attention upon a special feature. So shall we get that? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, we're not yet sitting together in heavenly places, we are sitting in the chapel of the open book, and it's pretty miserable outside, with a fog, we are not in heavenly places literally, we are in spirit, and so, the other words, we are not raised yet, but we are awakened, and we wake up together with him, and that's as far as we can get in this life, but isn't it something? to be reckoned, to be raised together with him and seated together in this combined uh, blessing given in this one verse. And Colossians 2.12 Colossians 2.12 Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. There's the second reference. And the third one is chapter 3, verse 1, which assumes the whole thing now. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Well, you're, all, you're still supposed to be then on the earth. Because if you were not, there would be no need to warn you about setting your affections here anymore. So while we're even here, we are to reckon that we are raised together, we've been wakened up together with him. But the glorious standing up in that day is yet future. So the anticipation of it is the waking up. And that would walk together with the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Or the the new creation of the, the renewing of the spirit of your mind, even though the body is failing. So there's the two words that we have to keep together. Now, ex-anastasis adds a little bit. And if you'll turn to Philippians 3, and of course many of you know this, and you ought to thank God that you do, because there are many are very fogged over this, because if you read this passage as it stands in the authorised version, it looks as though the Apostle Paul wasn't sure that he would ever be raised from the dead at all. What do you say to yourself, at least I should think you would have humility enough to say, well, if Paul wasn't certain, we can't be certain. But then, how is it that Paul could say that he wasn't certain? Well, then of course you say, well, perhaps he used an expression that has not been fully translated. And the moment we look, we find that's the case. The parallel to this is in Hebrews chapter 11, when it says, said, some were raised from the dead. Others refused that deliverance because they looked for a better resurrection. Well, a better resurrection must be a different one from the ordinary one, doesn't it? Or to go one stage further, the book of the Revelation says that those who are beheaded for the witness of Jesus and haven't received the mark of the beast, they are the blessed ones who are the first resurrection. Well, then there must be be a second resurrection if there's a first, if one is better than the other. So now, you see, we're preparing our minds to discover that Paul was quite certain of the blessed hope of his calling, but this is to do with the prize of the high calling when you look at the context. We'll start at verse 10, the Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He didn't want to know the truth of it, and the historic fact of it, or the meaning of the words, he knew all that, but he wanted to know its power, in this very life. And the fellowship of his sufferings, for there be no fellowship of his sufferings, thank God, in the glory that's coming, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means, now you'll find those very words are used in the Acts of the Apostles, describing the shipwreck, The ship started out from harbour, if by any means they may attain another one to winter in. And they never did, they went, they were a wreck. So Paul knew the meaning of those words, for he was on that very ship. So if by any means I might attain unto, now you don't attain unto the blessed hope, it's yours by redeeming love. But attaining unto something looks as though you're running for it. Let's go on if by any means I might attain unto the ex-anastasis ecto the out-resurrection, the one that is out from among the dead, a double EK, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. He's running, you see. If that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 14, I press toward the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So you must never mix the hope of your calling, which is sure, and the prize of the calling, which, because it's a prize, well, you cannot be sure. If you're sure before you start, it's not a race, it's a foregone conclusion. And so, when the Apostle came to the end of his life, God graciously permitted him to say, I have finished my course, henceforth a crown. Not only for me, but for others who run the race and love his appearing. So now we've got Anastasis, the raising, Egylo, the, the awakening and the ex-Anastasis, which warned you that you're dealing with something peculiar and um, distinct. You might look at, at Luke 20, verse 35, because we've got the ex-used there. Luke 20, verse 35. But they which shall be counted worthy to obtain. Counted worthy to obtain is not salvation by grace. They are counted worthy of something. And the resurrection which is out from among the dead. So there are others in other callings. Of course we've seen it. The first resurrection doesn't belong to the church of the body. It belongs to the overcomers in the millennial aspect. So we have in Luke. I only mention these together because, you see, they are to be observed as something which is over and above the blessed hope. Now, if you'll turn back to Mark, the ninth chapter, you'll see that the introduction of this little word apparently puzzled the disciples. Mark, the ninth chapter. This has to do with the transfiguration of Christ, and in the ninth verse, And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Well, you say that's straightforward. Uh, We are not told exactly why they were told to be silent, but they were told to be silent until the Son of Man were risen from the dead. But now look, and they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Well oh, now, the very Pharisees who didn't believe Christ at all believed the resurrection. It says so. Martha said, oh, yes, our brother shall rise again in the last day. She believed it. Would well, are we to believe them that these very disciples who had seen the transfiguration of Christ didn't even know there was such a thing as the resurrection? What puzzled them? What puzzled them was that the Lord said, Eck, that was the bit that puzzled them. If he said the ordinary word resurrection, they have taking it in their stride. So he said, tell no man what things thou hast seen till the Son of man be risen out from among the dead. And that's the distinction of Christ. It says he was the first to be raised from the dead. All others who may have been raised from the dead were never raised in glory. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he didn't have a glorified body. We don't know what happened to him. Nothing is said for our curiosity. So now, you see, we've got to watch the Anastasis standing up, the Angyra and all its derivatives, the waking up, and then the peculiar resurrection, which has to do with those who are overcomers or prize winners or those who are counted worthy. Now, it would take us the rest of the evening to go into that matter. We must leave that for another time. But there are other things that we have to consider And I want you to turn your attention to two more words and I'll put them on the board. Those of you who are listening to this recording uh, you can easily discover them, as I say, by consulting a concordance. The two words are cathudo and koimeomai. Cathudo and koimeomai. Now cathudo occurs twenty two times. And it always means to settle yourself down and compose yourself to sleep. To go to sleep. But koimeomai, which occurs 18 times, means to fall asleep involuntarily. I remember in my very early days, I don't like to liken myself to Timothy, but I had the privilege of travelling with Dr. Bullinger quite a number of times when he and I were invited to speak at the same meeting. You fancy it. Well, I went with Dr. Bullinger many a time and it was a joyful experience and one that I look on still with a certain amount of spiritual appreciation. And I remember on one occasion he'd had a a lunch served on the train because he was travelling a distance and he sent to me when the um, when the lunch was over, he said, "Now coy, I I'm going to compose myself to sleep, and he did he composed himself to sleep, he didn't fall asleep involuntarily. he just settled himself off to sleep. Now you want to watch those two words because if you don't, you'll be getting wrong arguments again. So shall we turn immediately to one Thessalonians chapter four and five. Because in chapter 4 and 5 we have the two words used with discrimination. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now here we have the word sleep, which means to fall asleep involuntarily. That is the word for the death of a believer. As i said before, I'm not sure, I couldn't be quite dogmatic over this, but as far as I've gone, I cannot find a passage which speaks of sleep as the death of an unbeliever. And of course, I know I'm going to be met immediately by someone who says about some abominable king in the Old Testament, he slept with his fathers. Well, he didn't. There's no word of sleep there. So I've looked at that, one, friends. But this is the point, that it seems as though God has said to you and to me, who believe in Christ, at the very close, of the chapter which deals with resurrection and those who sleep in Christ. He says, the sting of death is sin. But the sting's been extracted, friends. And the strength of sin is the law, but we no longer under law. But thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory. So we have this word to fall asleep involuntarily. Now if you come to the next chapter, the ordinary average English reader would have nothing to guide him that he wasn't dealing with the same word. The next chapter chapter five verses six, seven and ten. Let us therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober, for they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us all of a day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Well now, you see, this is not falling asleep involuntarily in death. This is getting drunk. This is not watching. So now we look at the uh, other words, where we have Gregorio and that's the word to wake that we've been looking at. I, I remember many, many years ago wondering why they called a public house down Street the Street the Gregorian. I didn't know I was looking at a wonderful Greek word not for many years afterwards. It means someone who's a watcher. So now we've got here in this fifth chapter let us not be sleepy where we ought to be watching not drunken in the night. And then it ends up with these wonderful words, verse 10, who died for us, that whether we are watchful or drowsy, we shall live together with him. Nothing can stop us living together with him. But if we are unwatchful and we are drowsy, we may miss the out-resurrection and the prize of the high calling and the well-done, good and faithful servant, all that's there. And this is parallel with the words that you get in 2 Timothy, when he said, if we died with him, we shall live with him. It's the end of that. And if we suffer, we shall reign with him, and if we deny him, we shan't. But it never alters the fact that if we've died with him, we shall live with him. The other is extra. Now, I think you'll agree with me that the sorting out of these words is well worth the time spent. And not only so, uh, but in any other case where you have a subject to deal with. It's very, very wise, before you start building any doctrine, especially if you're going to teach somebody else, not to build upon the sand of the best translation you can find, but build upon the rock of the words which the Holy Ghost teaches. And if it means a, a a certain amount of searching and a little bit of headache, well, what's that when you come to think of the fact that Christ endured all this and rose again on our account and that resurrection is promised and resurrection is the glorious goal in front of us. You might look at um, this word to watch in one of its uh, contexts, Matthew 24. Showing you that it is not to do with death but to do with being drowsy or watchful. Matthew 24, verse 42. Or oh, our Lord says um, in verse 41 Two women should be grinding at the mill, the one should be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now, I don't know whether you will, you may say, Well, I, I don't think you ought to have done this, but do you see what book I've got here? I was thinking of the way in which some of the greatest minds we've had have never quite encompassed the truth that we can enjoy. I'm going to read these words, and um, I hope I'll be forgiven. To be, or not to be? That is the question. Whether it's nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them. To die. To sleep. No more and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. This is an ordinary man speaking and I think he's echoing the thoughts of some other people too. To die. To sleep. No more. And by a sleep to say we end. The heartache. And a thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. It is a consummation. Devoutly to be wished. And all friends never say consummation. It means an opposite thought altogether. It's got two ends in it. To die. To sleep. To sleep, perchance to dream. Now we've got the other side. Perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. And that's borrowed from the game of balls. That when you throw your ball to hit the jack, there's a little roughness in the grass and it... There's the rub, he says. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. Well, there's a man groping and expressing his difficulty. Well, let's be thankful, friends, that while we can read Shakespeare with advantage, we can read the epistles of Paul with not not merely advantage, but with certainty. Here's a man saying, I wonder. And here's a book that says, You can still wonder, but you can still believe, and you've got a solid basis beneath your feet. Well, there are many other passages that may call for attention. I'm going to look now at Job chapter 3, and we shall have to look at Job again. I'll turn to Job chapter 3, verse 13. He's speaking about this question of dying and being at rest. And now should I have lain still and been quiet? I should have slept. Then had I been at rest. Or again, I think another passage we might look at, chapter 17. Chapter 17. He says in verse 11, My days are past, my purposes are broken off, even the thoughts of my heart. They change the night into day, and the night is short because of darkness. If I wait, the grave is my house. I have made my bed in the darkness. I have said, to corruption thou art my father, to the worm thou art my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? I shall go down to the bars of the pit, when our rest together is in the dust. But, but, friends, we cannot turn to the book of Job without turning the page. And when we turn the page to the 19th chapter, we read, verse 23, all that my words were now written, all that they were printed in a book, and you know, most of us have got a niche to have some words printed in a book, this man doesn't really want them printed in the book, he wants them graven with an iron pen in the rock and filled in with lead. And that's pretty well everlasting so far as we are concerned. Well, what have you got to say, Job, that's so important? I know that my Redeemer liveth. Well, what does that mean? What a Redeemer here is a king's man-redeemer who undertakes for you I know that my kinsman Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And I pointed out to you in an earlier study that instead of translating, and though after my skin you say, and after I shall awake, even in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself is identity, and mine I shall behold, and not another. And our version says, though my reins be consumed with, within me, for this, my very innermost being, is consumed with earnest desire. And then you know, ultimately, he comes right out into the light. And he's told so by Elihu. Well, that's about as far as I think we can go this evening without trespassing onto other matters. We've got a smaller company here this evening and I wouldn't like to deprive them of other features. I hope that it's been worth your while on a night like this to turn out just to have a few words explained. But what words? Or they ought to be giving you a song in your heart to think that you can join in with this man who wrote about it first of all in the Word. I know that my Redeemer liveth because he's turned round to us and said in the New Testament, because I live, ye shall live also. And for this cause, he both died and rose again, that he should be the Lord of the dead and the living. That's what he is, Lord of life and death. He's passed through it himself. He'll bring us through it too. And One day, we're going to be able to adopt the language of the psalmist, As for me, I shall behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied. I don't think we're ever going to get that word fulfilled in this life. God doesn't intend we should be satisfied with the best of things here. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness.